You are listening to the Regent College Podcast. Hello, I'm Nick Corbin. And I'm Claire Perini. And welcome back to the Regent College Podcast. Today we're talking with Dr. Isabel Hamley, who's a theologian, a writer and a broadcaster. Uh, and she's currently working as the theological advisor to the House of Bishops in the Church of England, where she was formerly the chaplain to the Archbishop of Canterbury. And so she's she's she has thought a lot about the Old Testament and about mental health and about how we understand the intersection of those two in the life of faith. So we had a really great conversation with Isabel mm-hmm. um, about about a whole bunch of different things. Yeah, we we delved into the Psalms, into Job, into Judges, specifically the terror texts, which aren't often talked about, but Isabel has done extensive work on those. And uh, yeah, just open that up in a new way that allowed for us to see that Israel, God's people, were human. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, we can relate to that, the brokenness, the sin, the pain, the trauma they experienced, we experience today, and God can speak to us through those scriptures. And so Isabel mm-hmm. was wonderful in unpacking those and just, yeah, really both theologically grounded and had personal stories as well. She's written a book called God of Justice and Mercy, a theological commentary on judges, and the Archbishop of Canterbury's Lent book for 2022 called Embracing Justice. Um, and she's teaching at Regent's summer school, spring school in May, uh, on a, a course called How Long, O God, Old Testament Suffering and Life with God, May 23rd to 27th. So if this conversation piques your interest, then we'd encourage you to come and join us. But in the meantime, enjoy our conversation with Dr. Isabel Hamley. Isabel, welcome to the Region College Podcast. We're glad to have you. Thank you. It's great to be with you. And we're excited that possibly we'll get to meet you in person, maybe mm-hmm. for your summer class. Ooh. I really, really hope so. The idea of coming to Vancouver rather than teaching in my computer in London is very appealing. <laughs> yes. It'll be good for all of us. Um, but why don't we begin by give us a little bit of a sense of, of your journey and how you got interested in anything you want to tell us really about who you are and your own kind of journey. Um, and journey in mental yeah. health. Or, yeah, mental health and and even and theologically, academically, whatever you want to sort of share about. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, I grew up in France, in central France, in a very, very secular kind of place where you don't talk about God and my family didn't talk about God. And I had quite a difficult childhood mm. um, and actually had mental health issues kind of as a result of growing up in a, in a really difficult home. And actually, um, I met my best friend whose dad was a missionary um, from Switzerland. He'd planted a church and the church kind of took me in and I became a Christian. And actually part of my Christian journey has been a journey of healing and, mm. and, and of finding my way and finding a God who actually cares about the vulnerability mm-hmm. of his people. Mm. So, so mental health has been a big part of just my Christian journey mm-hmm. uh, in general. And uh, yeah, I moved to England because I did English at university and started getting involved in various sorts of Christian leadership. So in outreach to international students and my church at the time said, well, why don't you go to Bible college? And I was like, really? <laughs> <laughs> but OK, I'll give it a try. You know, you never know. And, you know, one thing led to another and I found myself in Christian leadership slightly yeah. by accident, you know. Wow. Uh, That's the best kind of way. Yeah. <laughs> Initially, I trained as a Baptist pastor, uh, 
But mm-hmm. my husband went to a Church of England. Um, the Church of England is really, really broad. I mean, I guess it's like the Episcopal Church over where you are. Mm-hmm. In England, you have the Church of England runs the whole gamut of Christianity, really, from the right. very, very Catholic end to the very low end where, mm. you know, the services we had in my in my church weren't really distinguishable from what we had in a Baptist church. So, right. so I started going to the church, to, to that church with my husband and kind of slowly found my way into the Church of England and felt God calling me mm. um, to ministry there. Mm-hmm. Wow. Beautiful. Yeah, great. There you go. That's a very that's short. Good. No, that's yeah. a good little great. snapshot. Yeah, yeah thank that's great. you. Um, and so we're talking about uh, mental health and how that integrates with biblical theology and in, in our understanding. Yes. But I just wonder, is it possible to develop uh, a biblical theology of mental health? And if so, how? How? Well, I would hope so, because I, together with my friend Chris Cook, we've edited a book called The Bible on Mental Health Towards the Biblical Theology of Mental (laughs) Health. So I think it's possible. I think with things like mental health and modern day concepts, you always have to be careful not to read what we imagine today back into the biblical text. So you have to do a little bit of work and say, ask the question, actually, how does the Bible talk about about being human? Mm. Uh, How does the Bible talk about fullness of life and human flourishing and what Mm. it means to be a human being walking with God. So, so these are the questions I think we started with in the book and, and really kind of explored um, this idea of, of what it means to be human in God's world. Mm. And, and that the world is not, you know, it's not an ideal world. It's a broken world. And, and there is nothing in scripture that gives us the impression that we should expect an easy life. Right. And so brokenness, illness, and, and pain are part of that of that world, but they're part of God's world, you Mm -hmm. know, God walks with us in that world. Mm -hmm. And therefore I think scripture has a lot to teach us about how do we walk with people who are struggling? Mm -hmm. Um, It's got a lot to say about how we walk with people who are struggling physically, but I think it has a lot to say about how we walk with people who struggle with their mental health and their mental Mm -hmm. well-being. And so, Mm The Bible has loads about suffering, about trauma. Right. Uh, we have, you know, the narratives are amazing. I'm always, I mean, I'm a biblical scholar. That's my passion. I love <laughs> the Old Testament. And I love the Old Testament because the people are all broken and messed up. And, <laughs> yeah, totally. and, messy and there are no yeah. neat corners and neat edges, you know. Mm-hmm. And yet God is right there in a mess, you know, mm. and right there with people. Um, and there's no easy solution, but God's presence transforms what's there. And, and therefore, you have all these narratives. And I think the writers are amazing because they observe Mm. human beings Mm. and you kind of go this was written hundreds and thousands of years ago and yet I recognize what's going on I recognize that person I recognize you know you can see depression you can see struggle with voices you can see people who struggle with things that they see you can Mm. see people who Mm. struggle to inhabit the world you know Nebuchadnezzar for instance who eats grass and walks on all fours for for a while you can see symptoms of psychosis we don't want to go and diagnose the people of, you know, right. the people yeah. of the Bible, but we see the kind of stuff that we see today. We see mm. distress and pain. 
Mm-hmm. And within that, we see that that distress and pain are still part of God's story. Mm-hmm. And they're still part of talking to God and talking with God. So mm-hmm. the Psalms are just, you know, mm-hmm. the Psalms are just, just amazing, aren't mm-hmm. they? Because you've got these people expressing the depth of just about every single human emotions. Mm-hmm. And yet they are there. They're in prayer. They're part of that conversation with God. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's a very long answer to your question. No. I think it is a biblical theology of mental yeah. health. Yeah. But, but it's not quite the same as... Um, mental health today and part of that is because I think a biblical vision for the good life is mm. quite different from right. what today's society imagines to be the yeah. good life yeah how, how would you describe the biblical vision for the good life what do you think the bible says about what the good life looks like well I think at, it, at its simplest the good life is the life of Jesus so mm. we participate in the life of God we participate in the life of Christ we are in Christ but well, the life of Christ is not an easy life. No. <laughs> not a life that's free of pain, that's free of suffering. You know, Jesus himself cried, you know, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Mm. So this sense of, of struggling with life, struggling with friends, struggling with faith, it is part of our life. But that doesn't stop us from living a good life because mm. a good life is about walking with God regardless of what's right. going on. It's mm-hmm. about being a faithful disciple. Right. And actually you can do that even when you're struggling with mental health. Right. Totally. Yeah. Um, thanks. And like that kind of idea of like what does it mean to be human, you sort of you were saying at the, at the beginning. Um, and sometimes we we, th- we have thought about, um, you know, mental health. It's sort of it, and mental health and mental illness kind of falls in the domain of of the medical field of, of medicine and things. And so then and then faith, you know, has been seen as, either irrelevant yeah. or, or harmful at, you know, kind of at worst. So mm. how do you, how do we sort of live in this intersection between with faith and mental health? And you've sort of speaking to, spoken to that, but particularly yeah. when they're compartmentalised. Mm-hmm. Have you got any further thoughts on that? It, it's really interesting that we compartmentalise them or we pit them against each other because actually a lot of studies, a lot of recent studies shows that people who have an active faith actually do better in terms of mental well-being. Mm-hmm. So actually we know that spirituality has a has an important part to play in our mental health and mm-hmm. mental well-being and, and kind of human flourishing. But I, you know, being an Old Testament scholar, I don't believe we're separate as people. Yeah. I don't think mm-hmm. we're just, you know. You've got a good body, Hebrew worldview where it's yeah, all connected. Not, <laughs> it's not body, mind and soul as if those three things are completely separate. Actually, right. in, you know, in the Old Testament, I don't have a body. I am a body. Mm. I, I am a whole. I'm a whole person. And, and we know that, you know, kind of in everyday life, we know that. If we're struggling with our mental health, actually, often that might mean we're struggling in our faith as well. And if you're struggling with your mental health, that will often have an impact on your physical health. Mm -hmm. Um, Or if, you know, turn it on its head, if your physical health is bad, that often has an impact on both your mental and your spiritual health. So we know that those three things are are intimately connected. but as human beings, we also have a habit of trying to put things into boxes. Because if you mm-hmm. say, well, that's the spiritual box or that's the mental health box, somehow then we can put a label on it and try and say, okay, I'm going to deal with this and I'm going to have a, you know, I'm going to do something about it, that kind mm-hmm. of fix it mentality. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's easier with a medical model or, you know, because then you, you go down one route and you have almost a manual 
mm-hmm. how to get there. Um, right. And I think the medical kind of side of mental health is really important. You know, right. um, I struggled with my mental health for a long time. I had anorexia and I saw a psychologist who helped me because I had, he diagnosed that I had post-traumatic stress from my childhood and we mm. did trauma-focused therapy and it absolutely changed my life. Mm-hmm. Alongside that, I also had faithful Christians praying with me, praying for me. Mm-hmm. And, and I almost had to make a spiritual journey as well as that psychological mm-hmm. journey. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I'm not sure I would have been, I would have got to the stage of healing that I did had I had only right. one or the other. Wow. Mm-hmm. That's really so, so my passion for integrating things comes partly from my own personal experience as well as mm-hmm. kind of study of scripture and study of literature around, around mental health because yeah. that's born out in my life that mm-hmm. I'm a whole person and I need to attend to all these parts of me. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah I love that dynamic of both, like it's not one or the other, you know, you have mm-hmm. your your christian community praying for you and supporting you but you're also seeking guidance through a psychologist and a counselor i wonder would you start with scripture in seeking to identify how it speaks to mental health or would you would you start with mental health like psychological concepts or theory and see how it like speaks to scripture or i mean how does that dynamic play um well, I think different people will start in different places. And depending on what audience I'm talking to, I might start in a different place. For yeah. me, there's an iterative process between the two. Um, I tend, personally, I tend to start in scripture, but I'm a biblical scholar. So what do you expect? <laughs> you know? Of course. Yeah. I love scripture. And again, I think there is something about personal story where for me, growing up in a family that wasn't a Christian family and that didn't let me go to church, Actually, reading the Bible was my only connection to God. Mm-hmm. And, and it was, you know, so starting with scripture seemed quite natural to me. And, and I guess as Christians, we really benefit from being shaped and bathed in the stories of scripture. You know, mm-hmm. I think the more we know scripture, the more we're able to then kind of take lots of things from the world around us and, and appreciate them as part of God's world, but, but appreciate them with that understanding and shaping and framing that scripture can give us. Mm -hmm. But going forward for me, it's an iterative process. So Mm -hmm. I kind of look at what scripture might have to say, but then I might read an article around mental health and go, oh gosh, that's really interesting. And kind of go back to scripture to do a little bit more digging, Mm -hmm. or it might challenge me in the way in which I think about something I'd read in scripture before or Mm -hmm. illuminate something. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, but then scripture might then kind of push me back mm-hmm. into that kind of mental health area to to ask questions. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. In the book you you helped edit and write, you had both perspectives, right? You had mm-hmm. mental health professionals and biblical scholars. Uh, yes. And of. clergy, and kind clergy, of people yeah. or pastors and, you know, people who kind of do the the kind of regular right. holding of people. I find, I mean, when I was the pastor of a church in um, in Nottingham, uh, you know, my house was right next to the church. And 
I was often the first port of call for people struggling with their mental health. Mm -hmm. Not everybody went to a hospital or to a doctor. Sometimes they just knocked on the vicar's door because they knew you'd Mm -hmm. be in. They saw the light in, they said, hey, there's a vicar, you know, why don't we go and talk to them? And, And I think that there are a lot of pastors who, who find themselves in that place of having to do mental health first aid, you know, right. parishioners. And, and so, so in the book, we wanted to kind of draw on that experience, but also offer something that can help equip yeah. uh, pastors and, you know, mm-hmm. people who work in churches, church mm-hmm. leaders, to, to have some vocabulary right. from both sides, from both scripture and mental health. So that when they meet people, when they're doing pastoral counseling, when they're doing pastoral care, they're just that little bit better equipped. Yeah. Yeah. Well, as you say that, like that, the role of the pastor or the vicar is is to hold people in those places, and yeah. so often those places of vulnerability. It's like, who else do we go to? Ah, let's let's go to the pastor. And right. so, the, the importance of pastors having yeah. some, as you say, language or sort of first aid, mental health first yeah. aid, yeah. Uh, is so so important. Definitely, um, and to be able to inter- and to be able to do some of that integrating yeah. for people, yeah. or you know, sort of holding those those two things yeah. together for people. So yeah, important. I mean, I've done quite a bit of work, you know, both in church and. And I've carried on, particularly with people who've been victims of violence, kind of women victims of Mm. um, domestic or sexual violence. And often they say, but, you know, if I go to a psychiatrist, they want to talk about my mental health, but they don't want to talk about God. And if I go to Hmm. the church, often they want to talk about God, but they don't really want to talk about the mental health. And, Mm. you know, that's a bit of a caricature, but I have met Mm. quite a few people like that. And and I think we have to do better than that as Christians, you know, we have to be able to enable the whole of a person to come before God and and that whole person to be heard and to be seen and and to enable them to see that there is nothing, absolutely nothing in our human life Mm. that doesn't belong to our conversation with God. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. You were sort of, you were talking about, um, Sort of dealing, helping women with with trauma, and even you were saying as well, you were diagnosed with some PTSD, yeah. and you you would say that kind of Israel shape Israel faith is kind of, you know, shaped by trauma and pain. Why talk to us about that, and why what's the importance of that in terms of our understanding of these things? Yeah, if you look at the history of Israel in the in the Bible, you have you know, you have slavery first, and we know that slavery kind of shapes people and kind of leaves that trauma that actually goes down generation. And it's a trauma that's both individual and collective. So you have that first kind of initial trauma in the story. And then Israel for a long time is working out that trauma, trying to work out how, how do we move on? How do we become a different kind of people? How do you move on in a way that doesn't dismiss the experience, but Neither does the experience control everything that you are in a negative way. So you already have that that kind of trajectory initially. And then, of course, you've got war after war Mm. in the story of Israel. And again, at several points, you see that sense of war trauma or how Mm. how do we kind of live following war? So there are rituals and there are ways of, um, there are things to do following Mm -hmm. a war so that people can find a way of expressing 
that kind of trauma. You have individual traumas. So, you know, I'm a, I'm a judges scholar. So judges is my, my kind of book. It's a mm-hmm. horrible book. Lots mm-hmm. of people like yeah. to read it. And a lot of it is about trauma. So, mm-hmm. you know, individually, you have the story of Jephthah, who's a, an abandoned child, who's a child who was rejected. And he then grows up into a man who's actually deeply wounded and broken and who end up, ends up breaking other people and you, you can see that outworking of that wow. you know that earlier trauma and then in the story of israel you then get to the exile which is another major national collective trauma and you see mm. some of that worked out in the prophets and mm. um and in some of the stories on how do we make sense of that how do we mm. make sense of the type of events that calls everything into question that makes us question who we are, who we are in God's eye, who God is, what our mm-hmm. history is, what our future might be, you know, that just complete destruction of, of all the stories you tell yourself, mm. you tell yourself on the world. And then, you know, other stories, Job is mm-hmm. a classic kind of story of trauma, but scripture doesn't leave you in the trauma. There are shapes to it. There are mm. ways forward mm. of integrating that trauma into that bigger story of God. Mm. Mm. And so often in the life of the community as well, like there's so often, as you're saying, there's rituals and there's things that we do in order to move through these things, yeah. but it is, and it's, it's part of somehow the, the life of, of the community and the life of faith is sort of doing the, working through these oh. things together. Yeah. And that comes back to what we were saying about the good life and what Mm -hmm. is the good life. And I I think in the West in particular, we've got this sense that life owes us something, that Mm -hmm. we should have a good life. And when things go, you know, when things go wrong, we things don't just go wrong so that we're traumatized by what's going wrong, but the gap between our expectation of life and, and the reality of what happens to us, I think, makes that compounds that trauma yeah well makes it worse because because the shape of life we were expecting is not the shape of life that actually pans out and that's mm-hmm. a feature of normal trauma but i think we have a particular vulnerability in the west because of our expectation of a, a good life an easy life you know yeah. the pursuit of happiness you know yeah. Yeah. that's very deeply ingrained into the way in which we think yeah 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 in yeah. a way that actually the biblical narrative push, pushes us to rethink, right. you know, and yeah. pushes us to ask actually what kind of life do we expect? Um, and actually when things happen in life, do we think, well, it's not fair and it shouldn't have happened to me. Of course it's not fair and it shouldn't have happened, but mm-hmm. equally it isn't a surprise. Right. Yeah, definitely. But, but yeah. that's quite a hard thing, I yeah. think. Yeah, totally. So how do you both have a concept of life that's realistic Mm -hmm. about the fragility, I think, of humanity and still attend to the deep kind of wound and pain that happens? Yeah. So we don't want to dismiss the pain, but we also want to put into perspective what our expectations might be. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It it seems like, you know, as you're you're talking, I just feel like we have – we can have maybe more of a compassionate lens and realistic lens in reading the the Old Testament narrative if we read it like as as these these are human humans and they fail <laughs> and they make mistakes yeah. um, even that idea of war and how war affects some someone yeah. i 
I haven't I haven't thought of that. So that was really interesting. Uh, I mean, are there so there are different forms of writing and you kind of touched on it, but like narrative and poetry and even prophecy and yeah. uh yeah, these different forms they speak to the pain and the suffering and the trauma. But I wonder how maybe maybe just one of them like even even poetry um how is this important to understand in order for like mental health and healing? Um, I guess, how do you even see it play out in the biblical narrative of like, maybe in the life of David? I don't know. I'm, I'm thinking of maybe Psalm 51 or something like that. And I think the Psalms are fascinating because first and foremost, they're prayer that's from human beings to God. But then we read it as God's words to us. Right. Right. And then we repeat it as our own prayer right. back to God. Yeah, right, yeah. Right. There is something really fascinating about what happens um, in the Psalms as mm-hmm. a way of teaching us. Um, sorry, that's my cat. Um, <laughs> awesome. As a way of teaching us how to pray within the kind of middle of, of everything going wrong and life being difficult. And, mm-hmm. and the thing that's most important to me is not the fact that it's in poetry per se, but that it's a prayer. Mm. Um, and some of the Psalms hardly seem like a prayer. I mean, if you read Psalm 137, you know, it's like it, it's violent. It's it's yeah. about Israel saying, you know, the, the Babylonians have done this to us and mm-hmm. they're carrying on doing this to us and nobody cares about us. And, you know, we just well, wish that, God, you could just, you know, bash their baby's heads against the wall. And yeah. you just go, how is that even in the Bible? Mm-hmm. You know, why is that part of the Psalms as a book of prayer? But But that's because it is prayer. It's not mm. action. Mm-hmm. It's about what we do with the, the reality of the feelings that we have. And, and there is something about truth-telling for me yeah. in the mm. Psalms that's really important, mm-hmm. that they don't, the people don't hide emotions. They don't try to pretend that they are better than they actually are. They're saying, you know, these are raw emotions. Right. And yet they're not just raw emotions you go and act on their raw emotions, which are placed within a bigger story, within mm-hmm. a bigger framework. And that framework is that of prayer of the story of God. Mm-hmm. And in a lot of the Psalms, the Psalms of lament, you know, people say, mm-hmm. oh God, oh God, why have you done this? You know, why mm. should you do this? And you've promised to be better than that. And, you know, aren't you listening? What is right. going on? And then the Psalm also has often a section that says, you have promised and we believe that you've promised. Mm -hmm. But the interesting thing is that those two things aren't collapsed into each other. You know, Mm -hmm. it's like there's a tension between them. And what the Psalms do is they acknowledge the tension. Right. Often as Christians, I think we try to collapse the tension. We pray Mm -hmm. for healing. We pray. We want to be on the other side of the tension. Mm -hmm. We want the bit that's about, uh, we trust you, God, and you know we pray that you would make things better. Mm-hmm. The Psalms of Lament, I think, give us a discipline for not jumping too quickly to solutions, yeah. 
but actually attending to what's going on inside of us, mm-hmm. bringing that before God. And, mm-hmm. and I think that's an essential part of that kind of healing process, mm-hmm. attending to reality, naming the trauma as well, naming what has been done, naming the impact and the effect that it has mm-hmm. before you can actually move on. Mm-hmm. Two of the Psalms of Lament don't have an expression of um, the wow. Of yeah, course, interesting. Yeah. That's Psalm 88 and Psalm 137. And they're just oh. left there in mm. that kind of place of despair. Yeah. Um, and that really speaks to me because I think there are times, you know, when you when people are struggling with mental health challenges mm. that are very deep, where actually you can't see a way out and you mm. can't even affirm that God is there or that you trust. Yeah. And yet, even then, it still is a prayer. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so totally. that posture of prayer yeah. is part of the part of the story. But, yeah. but the, the only other thing I'd say about the Psalms is that they teach the whole community of God. So, so we don't read the Psalm of Lament just when we're having a bad time and it fits with our emotions. I think there is a discipline about. Yeah about learning that this is life and this is how we pray a different part of life so that when you run out of words because life is so hard, you have that scaffolding almost there to to hold you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and, that, and yeah, that's so so true. And also that that, we, that 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 becomes a part of our vocabulary. And it's also because right. well, you I might be doing fine, but you might not be. Mm-hmm. So I even if I can't pray the psalm of lament for me personally because everything feels yeah. fine, I'm pretty sure the person on the other side of yeah. the church, someone either here or in the global church, yeah. is lamenting right now. So in that right. sense, there's a part of it sort of joining us, joining with that um that that prayer f- with with others as well even if we're yeah. not personally yeah. feeling it yeah and of just to, oh sorry i was just yeah. i was just reflecting on my own personal journey and how often when i share something that's difficult or a struggle i'm going through in my life i tend to move on very quickly mm-hmm. and i tend to to say the but but you know but it is it's good yeah. like there's still you know and i feel like even the the psalms of lament and doing that together teach us to sit in that a while and teach us to be okay in the struggle and in the trial and in the pain and to allow others into that. And, and so, yeah, I just, I was thinking that and reflecting on that in my own life. Mm-hmm. It creates space. And it's interesting that the Psalms are, you know, they're there for public worship. Yeah. Mm. Um, you know, what does it mean to lament together? Um, what does it mean to find that space all together? I think that's a really interesting question and not mm. one we're very good at in the Western mm. church. Mm-hmm. But it's fascinating to look at the Psalms as, you know, almost a songbook in the Bible. And you compare it to a songbook <laughs> from the church for today. And actually, mm-hmm. you know, the proportion of lament in the Psalms is so much higher than mm-hmm. if you pick up a contemporary songbook. Mm-hmm. And what does that say about yeah about our lives and the balance of our lives. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And about what you're saying about our expectation and reality sort of thing as well. And right. then how does that, how does what we're singing and yeah. what we're doing in church actually make that gap bigger between what, what we're expecting life should be like and then actually mm-hmm. what the reality is. Mm-hmm. Well, it doesn't mean we want to be like, you know, no. people who hope about and <laughs> right. you know, we do have that face. We do yeah, have right. that hope. But it's about creating those right types of spaces mm-hmm. and being honest about the whole of our life. Mm-hmm. And, and as you said, about the global church. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. 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 Um, 
Yeah, totally. Can we talk about judges, given that you're a judges person? So judges, yeah, let's talk about that. So judges 19 to 21, you know, it's kind of this horrific text and it's been known as the sort of terror text. Um, And, you know, you know, judges is so much the failure of humanity. You know, everyone's just doing what's right in their own eyes, you know. Um, Do you want to Talk, talk to us about that and how that speaks of the integration uh, with mental health and faith. Um, so I spent a lot of time on judges and I spent a lot of time with judges 19 to 21, which is that horrible, horrible story of a woman being gang raped, mm. murdered, dismembered, and then civil yeah. war. And I started thinking about that because I heard the worst sermon I have ever heard preached on that text. And you're like, wait a second. By somebody who basically said, well, that woman, you know, she disrespected her husband. So she got what Mm. was coming to her and then went, and if you disrespect your leader, that's your leaders, that's what God will do to you. And I just sat there and just went, how do you even go from (laughs) judges to the sermon but then i also asked myself but why is why is that text even there in the Mm -hmm. bible what on earth do we do with it you know i was thinking i've never heard anybody preach on it until now i've never heard anybody talk about it so if it's in the bible it must be because it's important and if it's important why is it that we never talk about it Mm -hmm. um and if we're going to talk about it, how can we do it well? So, mm. so for me, that was a really kind of visceral question. Mm. And that does link to the fact that, you know, I had an interest in, in sexual violence and gender violence and, and that text links with that. And I worked um, I worked with people in prison and sex offenders and domestic offenders for a while, for five years. So, so again, it linked to my work. Um, so I kind of journeyed with that Um um, and looked at identity actually in those in mm. those chapters and how different people, you know, when the people do what's right in their own eyes in judges, you have this trajectory of everybody deciding ethics and morality for themselves. Yeah. And what happens is you don't have a common framework anymore for deciding right and wrong. And what happens when that happens is that the most vulnerable people in that society aren't protected mm. mm-hmm. because if you can't agree on right and wrong, how can you have laws that are upheld? How can you have systems that protect the vulnerable? The more individualistic a nation becomes, the less it is able to protect individuals. So it's something really interesting Mm -hmm. in that trajectory. And by the time you get to the end of judges, everybody is in that really vulnerable space. So Mm -hmm. it's not just the women and the children and the foreigners and the poor, but every single person is actually Mm -hmm. at risk. And what do people do when they're at risk? They kind of, you know, turn back on themselves and they protect themselves often at the expense of others, Mm -hmm. which is some of the dynamics that we see at the end of judges where everybody kind of tries to kind of reaffirm their own identity at the expense um, of everybody else. Mm. Um, and it's a text that matters to me because it talks about the reality of what happens to people mm. in the world. So mm. if you read what happened to the Yazidi women in Iraq, you know, mm. if you read, I mean, if you read stories of what happens to women in the UK, I mean, you know, or, mm. or in Canada, or, mm. you know, there are plenty of stories mm. Um and to me, it matters that it's in the Bible because it talks about the reality of being human. It talks about yeah. that 
part of our humanity that we'd rather not really talk about, mm. that sometimes we might even pretend doesn't exist in our churches, but it does, and we know that it does. Um, and the fact that it's in the Bible and that it's not resolved, so God doesn't come in and sweep yeah. in and make mm-hmm. everything okay. And a woman dies and nobody cares. And, and that is the reality mm. of what happens out there. And if it wasn't in the Bible, then what do you say? Mm-hmm. Victims coming to talk to you and telling you, this is my story. God wasn't there. Why wasn't God there? Right. You know, mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. me, there is something so important about being able to say, yeah, I know. Mm. And look, this is not new, but somehow that is still part of God's story. And there is still a trajectory of hope within scripture. And the fact that that story is in scripture means that what happened to you means that you were seen by God. You Mm. weren't alone. You weren't, you know, you weren't on your own and actually God is there and God cares and God will do something about it. And Mm. and there is something for me that then links back to mental health and that ability to bring God into that place of horrendous trauma yeah. and pain. Yeah. Yeah. Um, wow. And it can yeah. then, if we use these stories well, I mean, it's difficult, but if mm-hmm. we use them well in our churches, it means we can create a space for honesty and to talk. Right. And if we can create spaces for honesty, I think we create healthier communities, communities where things might have happened to people, but they can become able to talk about it. Mm -hmm. It breaks Mm -hmm. down some of the stigma. Um, Because when you live with trauma, it has Mm -hmm. an impact in lots of ways. Um, And mental health is often, or mental ill health and mental health challenges are often stigmatized. And actually, there is something about using scripture to talk about the reality of our humanity so mm-hmm. that we can be honest and start to dispel the stigma and make it okay yeah. to talk about the things that might have happened to us or to the people we know and mm-hmm. how it affects us. Mm-hmm. Well, that's mm-hmm. what I was going to go into is, you know, for a therapist or a, a counselor, are you, I mean, obviously they've, they've been trained and know how to walk with people and hold people in their stories, but would you suggest or how would you suggest even like incorporating scripture and faith, maybe in a real practical way? Like, would you say maybe share the story from, I mean, judges or how, how, how do you see it integrating? I think it's really hard and mm-hmm. obviously it depends on what kind of context mm-hmm. you're, yeah. you're working in. Um, but if you work in a Christian therapy or Christian pastoral context, I think there is a place for very carefully and very gently talking about scripture. I would want to be led by the client. So, right. you know, scripture can be problematic for people with mental health challenges, and we have mm-hmm. to respect that mm-hmm. and honor that and walk quietly with them. I I would still say I think the Psalms are one of the best places to start. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, to to kind of, you know, suggest to somebody that they read a psalm and maybe identify two or three that might match some of the feelings. Mm. Um, it's interesting, somebody I was working with once, um, I kind of suggested they read Psalm 139 because I felt that they needed to have that sense of having been created by God. And that's that's what I had in my head. Mm. And they, read, they, they read Psalm 139, but Psalm 139 has a little bit at the end two verses that say, oh, God, that you would slay the wicked. And that person 
love those two verses mm. because it's like, yes, that's how I feel. That's what I want to say to God. That right. is where my prayer was. And it was incredibly healing for that person to be mm. able to go to scripture and find those emotions which he'd been trying to fight and to repress and not acknowledge and felt ashamed of. And actually that opened a way, a new way to start talking about anger and the place of anger mm. um, in response to things that have happened to us and, mm-hmm. and what we do with our anger. Mm-hmm. So, so I think mm-hmm. there are ways of doing that, but I think it's it's often complex and right. it depends where some where somebody's at. Yeah, mm-hmm. definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I I wonder, it's interesting what you're saying, sort of kind of encouraging people to read the Psalms. And I wonder, like, so Job is another interesting place, right, where you see people responding. And so just normal people, friends, you know, responding in less than helpful ways at times. But talk (laughs) to us about about that. So in terms of, and perhaps in terms of how we're responding to people um, with sort of uh, who've experienced trauma and how do you understand those things? I love Job. It's like pastoral care 101, what not to do in a pastoral situation. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. Don't uh, do that. Just yeah. do not say that. <laughs> but having said that, I also really feel for Job's friends because yeah. I think that what they show is that when we're faced with trauma, even if it's not ours, it challenges the stories we tell us. It challenges our worldview. Mm. And so what happens in Job is that the friends and Job himself, to start with, had this view of the world that was quite mechanistic. That was, mm. you know, you're a good person, you follow God, and God blesses you. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're a bad person, and God makes bad things happen to you. And that's quite a comfortable place to be. Because Mm -hmm. it means that life is predictable. It means that you know if you're doing okay, that you're a good person, and you know that you can control your future and Mm. the future of your children. That's what Job tries to do even, you know. He doesn't just make sacrifices on his own account. He makes sacrifices for his children just in case they've done something wrong. Mm -hmm. You know, and that's quite a settled kind of world. And then when something completely random hits, Job, and he doesn't know why it's hit him, and he doesn't know what's happened, suddenly everything falls apart because the entire way in which he thought about the world and how the world works and how his faith worked and all of that has just gone into smoke. Mm. And for Job, he just has to try and find a way through it. But it's challenging for the friends as well. I think the friends seeing Job just feel they're like... Their worldview is challenged. Their perspective on faith mm. and God is challenged. And actually, if they accept the idea that Job hadn't done anything wrong and it was completely random and undeserved, then that opens up the possibility that that could happen to them too. They're good mm. people. What mm. things could happen to them? And that's a really scary place to be. And I think that touches back on what we were saying about expectations as yeah. well. It mm. challenges their expectations of what life might or might not do. And so reading the book of Job is partly for me about asking ourselves those questions when when I'm seeing somebody really struggling and I'm Mm -hmm. reacting or trying to say something to them, who am I saying those things for? Mm. Am I saying them for them or Mm. because what I'm seeing is actually challenging me and making Mm. it difficult for me? Um, and, you know, there's that human kind of need to fix, isn't mm-hmm. there? Mm-hmm. What totally. to fix what's going on. Right. That's not a bad thing. Right. I mean, you know, it's a good thing. 
it's a good thing that we want to help. Mm-hmm. But actually, there are situations where our help isn't helpful mm-hmm. or where our help is actually not about the other person being helped, but mm-hmm. us. Yeah. Um, and so the question is, how, how can we work, you know, how could they have been with Job rather than trying to fix Job? Yeah, so they're yeah. trying to do something to him rather than with him. And I think that's one of the the tensions and the lessons of the book of Job. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's um, so helpful. Mm-hmm. I just have not thought about that. I mean, I have thought about it in that way. Like the Job's friends always get put in the negative light and I get that. Mm-hmm. But then I'm like, oh, that's a very human experience though. And it's a very real experience yeah. to want to mm-hmm. fix something or want to push something away that doesn't yeah. fit in your worldview, you know? And or to try and make sense of like what God might be doing it. or whatever, right. yeah. you know? Yeah. Because mm-hmm. because if you can make sense of it, somehow you, you gain a little bit of control right. back over it. Yeah. And I think it's, it's scary mm-hmm. not to be in control. It's yeah. scary to think something, you know, something bad could happen to me for no reason whatsoever mm-hmm. with no warning. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, and we know it can. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But totally. actually facing that and seeing it right in front of you and your best friend, mm-hmm. that's yeah. really, really tough. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And just and even I was just thinking as well, what you're saying is so helpful. Like, am I saying this for them or am I saying it for me? Like that's just a really yeah. it's like a simple question, but it's like, yeah. is it because there's something in me that needs, yeah, needs control, right. needs this to be okay, needs them to stop feeling what they're feeling, you know, mm. or something. Maybe if I say something, they'll stop feeling that. Like how ridiculous that's yeah. not going to happen. Um, but, yeah, just really, that's, those are just helpful helpful thoughts as well. We hope you've been enjoying this wonderful conversation. But Claire wanted to take a few seconds just to share some ways you could get involved more in the Regent College podcast. Totally. We at Regent, we love people being a part of the things that we're doing. And so there's a couple of different ways you can do that. If you've enjoyed this conversation or any of our other conversations, let someone know. Share it with them. Share it with a family member, with a friend, with someone who you think would appreciate this and would love to hear it. That's the first way. Mm-hmm. Second way, you could you could give us a rating or write a little uh, comment on one of the on wherever you listen to your podcast. That would be another great way. And then the final way that you could uh, participate with us is if you've enjoyed the podcast and you'd like to give a donation to Regent College, then we would warmly receive that. Yeah. You can do that by heading to rgnt.net forward slash give. And, you know, in the comment box, let them know that we sent you. Right, Nick? That's right. We do love hearing when people have appreciated the podcast. And so let you can let Nick know by sending an email to podcast at regent-college.edu. When Nick and I are having these conversations, it's sometimes hard for us to realise that actually people listen to these. And so when we get emails or we get a little note in the comment box on the donation page of our website, it just reminds us that people are actually listening and we love that. So please let us know that you're listening. Let us know if there are things that different profs that you'd like to hear from. We'd love to hear from you. So thanks for listening. And we hope you enjoy the rest of the conversation. I think that all this makes me think of, you know, in in our churches and church leaders and contexts of you want to care for others well. Um, I guess, what do you think we can learn? You know, we've talked about the biblical side of it, Mm. uh, Mm. specifically the Old Testament. But what, what can the church do and learn from like mental health practitioners and and people who have delved into that and also like how can we then integrate those those things and into our churches so i think one of the first things for us to learn is what 
what's our stuff to do and what's not our stuff. Yeah. You know, what's the place of the church and what's the place of the professional? If somebody comes, you know, and has a heart attack, you, you will pray for them, but you will also call an ambulance. And I, I think it's really, really important in our churches to be able to work with kind of mental health professionals, not be scared of them, not, you know, but actually be able to say, actually, what's going on with this person? Mm-hmm. That's big. That's mm-hmm. not something we can just, you know, we can just deal with here. So so having that ability to know people who you can refer people to, yeah. I would say that that's the first, you know, one of the first steps. Mm-hmm. Um the ability to to learn enough from from the medical side to be able to recognize mental health issues and distress mm. so that you know we don't misinterpret it right there's a lot um there's a lot of literature a lot of writing around stigma and the way in which mm. people have been treated and and the way in which sometimes even almost unconsciously we ourselves treat other people mm with mental health challenges and I think as churches uh, it's our job to help everybody know that they are made in the image of God and they are loved by God so how do we kind of work on breaking stigma I think that's something churches can really really Mm -hmm. work on and make a difference on and that welcome as well and that's not so much learning from others but I think that's a mission or almost imperative that as churches we can be places of welcome we can make safe spaces for people to be mm-hmm. and be themselves and not have to pretend mm-hmm. not have to pretend to be great and to be strong and to be you know yeah. God is the God of the vulnerable of the sick of you know mm-hmm. and actually our churches can be places where where people come Mm-hmm. That's, you know, that's how I became a Christian, yeah. the church yeah. I went to. It wasn't the perfect church by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah. But actually, I was a child who was struggling with mental health, and they just loved me. Yeah. They, didn't, they didn't fix me. They didn't, yeah. you know, they didn't even counsel me, but they loved me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's something that as Christians, I think we can give that mental health professionals can't give, actually. Yeah. Mental health professional can see you for an hour here and there. Yeah. You know, they can give you a bit of time. But as churches, you can practice yeah. the things that you say. You're not just going to say to somebody, you are lovable, you are loved, you are, but you can make it real. You can yeah. embody it. You can incarnate the the love that God has for his people. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean you don't have boundaries. You still need boundaries. Yeah. But I think you can be a community that makes that person loved. Mm -hmm. Um, and that makes the world of difference yeah Yeah, definitely yeah so good so Isabel we're excited that you're going to come and join us at Regent hopefully tell us do you want to just give us a little tell us what your course is called and what tell us what what to expect what can people expect so the course I'll teach is called How Long O God Old Testament Suffering and Life with God and it's exploring the way in which the Old Testament seemed to be built out of lots of human experiences of trauma and pain and and how do people make sense of that how Mm. does the Bible talk about life with God in a way that pays attention to questions of pain and suffering and the mental health challenges that come with it, and yet give us a framework for life with God, for thinking about what it means to have a good life, Mm -hmm. even when we're struggling. Wow. 
Looking so good. Well, it. we hope you do come. Mm-hmm. Yes, and so do yeah, I. yeah. So let's let's hope things are just very oh. normal by May. Yeah. Now you and we intercepted you watching a movie with your daughter. So hopefully, like you can either yeah. go yeah. back and finish that or um go to bed. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> but thanks so much, Isabel. We're really really grateful for your time. Thank you. It's been yeah. great. Thanks Thank again. You. All right. Thanks for listening to the Regent College podcast. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. To discover more about Regent College, its upcoming events, conferences, courses, and more content like this, visit rgnt.net. That is rgnt.net.